listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. We're going to be dealing with the fourth area of life now that you've got to master. And that area that we're talking about is relationships, the relational area of your life. And I'm not talking just about husband, wife, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend. That's that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. And uh, what I am going to talk about is the importance of faith-based relationships. And this is going to be huge. Can I let you in on a secret? And any minister that's ministered for any period of time knows this, that one of the biggest hindrances to any person's life that's in the body of Christ is the relationships that they are unwilling to let go of relationships that they are totally unwilling to release. And it's a problem because let me just say this plainly, your relationships can make you or break you. Your relationships can make you or they can break you. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 17, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. So I want you to put this based on that scripture. I want those of you that are watching, write this in the comments tonight. I need sharp friends. I want you to put that in the comments. I need sharp friends. And that's very important. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. If you are a blade but your friends are all rocks, you've got a problem. Because what ends up happening is you just keep smacking your blade off of rock-headed friends, and what's going to happen is they're not going to become sharp. You're going to become dull. Let me say that again. If you leave your relationships unguarded, and I'll show you scriptural evidence for this in the Bible, But if you leave your relationships unguarded, you won't become, your friends aren't going to become sharper. You will become dull. So you need sharp friends as iron sharpens iron. So what we're talking about is the importance of faith-based relationships. I'll give you an example. If I'm believing for a miracle in my life, If I'm believing for a miracle, maybe I got diagnosed with some kind of an issue or whatever it might be uh, in my body. I need healing. I need a miracle. Well, if my friends are just constantly telling me, well, you know, don't get your hopes up. I I would hate for you to see you, you, you get your hopes up and then your hopes are dashed. You know, God's not really doing that anymore. And, you know, I don't know who thinks God's doing that, but, you know, those miracles really aren't for today. And, uh, you know, don't don't put a whole lot of hope in that. Don't put a whole lot of faith in that. And the people I'm surrounding myself with are actually destroying my faith instead of building my faith. They are friends that are dulling my blade. They're dulling my blade. 
And if you think that that's some sort of an extreme example that I'm giving, it's common. It's very, very common that people get saved. They live, they leave their old life of sin, but they still hang with all the same people that they used to hang with that aren't in, they're not interested in pleasing the Lord with their lives. They're not interested in obeying the word of God. And so as a, as a result, as a result, what ends up happening is, is that they end up falling back into the old way of doing things, the old way of talking, the old way of living. They go back to the same old temptations that they always had. And if they're not careful, they get pulled right back in to that same old way of living simply because they would not guard their relationships. Now, tonight, I'm going to show you in the Bible that not only are we commanded to guard our relationships, I'm going to show you that Jesus himself guarded his own relationships and that there were things Jesus did that he would only do with the certain relationships that he kept close to him and guarded for himself. I'm going to show you that in scripture and it should open your eyes to see what many will not see, which is the people you have in your life do matter. They do matter. I'm very selective. And so should you be very selective about who has access to my life, to me, to my family. We don't just hang with anybody. We don't just want to be around anybody. I want to be around people that are building my faith. Or at least, at the very least, I want to be around people that are hungry to go higher in the things of God. Not people that don't care at all about the presence of the Lord. And so I want you to put this in as a warning for yourself in the comments. I would put this in. Guard your relationships fiercely. Put that in the comments. Guard your relationships fiercely. So very important that you do. They'll make you or they will break you. Don't connect a sharp blade with a dull stone or your, or your blade will become dull. Your blade will become dull. Um, I use this story because it's one, it's always one of the most extreme stories I can think of, but it'll help you understand what I'm talking about. One of the reasons that, you know, the word of God speaks of you as a blade, you're a tool for the kingdom of God to accomplish a purpose. You know, the, uh, the, the more dull, I don't know if you know this about knives and I, I would hope you do the more they teach this in survival, uh, skills, the more dull a blade is, the more dangerous a blade is. Think about this. The more dull a blade is, the more dangerous a blade is. That's why it's so very important to keep, you know, your survival knife, whatever you have, your cutting tool, keeping it extremely razor sharp. Because by keeping it razor sharp, it does the job of cutting easily. But when your knife becomes dull, that's when you got to start putting all kinds of pressure on it while you're cutting people use and then what the happens they slip and they cut themselves or they slip and cut their leg because they've had to put so much extra pressure behind the cutting tool because it's dull which means it's not functioning 
the way it should function when it's sharp and it's dangerous. So there are people that are just sharp enough to be dangerous because you've got, remember this, you have a purpose. You have a goal that God's called you to fulfill. And it's important that you keep yourself in a place where your blade is sharp. So without stress, without stress, I can accomplish my purpose and cut like I'm called to cut. That's why who's around me matters. And I guard my relationships fiercely, fiercely. Doesn't mean I don't talk to other people. Doesn't mean I won't minister to the lost. Doesn't mean any of that. It means who I allow to speak into my life, who I grant access into my life, I fiercely guard that. (laughs) You'd be surprised to find. I don't just let anybody lay hands on me. Trust me when I tell you that. I don't want anybody laying hands on me. I don't want anybody. I want the right people laying hands on me. There's some people's hands. I don't want them anywhere close to my head, (laughs) to be honest with you. I've had preachers come up to me and say, Brother Ted, I'd like to just lay hands on you and pray a blessing on you. And with a smile on my face, no, thank you. No, thank thank you for thinking of it, but no, just pray for me from home. And they're confused. Well, you, 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 you won't let me pray for you? Sure, pray for me at home. Why do you need to lay hands on me? I had one guy, I had one guy that wasn't even Holy Ghost filled. That was, I don't even know if he knew that he was in the ministry. He was a pastor. He approached me. <clears throat> he was very touched by, you know, how the meetings were going. I, I know it was with a good heart. And he said to me at the end of the revival, he said, Brother Ted, I'd love to just lay hands on you and pray for you before you leave. I said, oh, would you? He said, yeah, I would I would really love to be able to do that. I said, why? And his eyes kind of went like, you know, why would you ask me that? You know, we're pastors. That's what we do. We lay hands and pray. And I said, no, why? Why would you like to lay hands on me? And I walked, I wanted to walk him through it so he could see what I meant. I said, um, you know, in in the uh, Bible, there are very specific reasons to lay hands on someone. I said, so let's go through what they are, because I'm asking you why you want to lay hands on me. Number one, one reason hands are laid on people in the Bible was to separate them into the ministry, to make them ministers. I said, well, I'm already a minister, so you don't need to do that one. I said, number two, the second reason to lay hands on somebody in the Bible was to get them baptized in the Holy Ghost so they could speak in tongues and be filled with the power of God. I said, I'm already baptized in the Holy Ghost. I speak with tongues. We see signs, wonders, and miracles. So I don't need that one. Number three was if people are sick, let them call for the elders of the church. They'll lay their hands on them, anoint them with oil. The prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise them up. I said, I'm not sick. I'm healed. I'm healthy. So I don't need that one. I said, number four, Jesus called people to him, including little children. And the Bible says he laid his hands upon the little children and he blessed them. I said, so a fourth reason, if you want to know the truth, a fourth reason they laid hands on people in the New Testament was to bless them or pronounce a blessing. And I said, I'm more blessed than you are. (laughs) I said, so what are you going to lay hands? He said, well, I've I've never thought about it like that. Well, I understand that, (laughs) but think about it that way. 
you know, don't, don't, I don't want people just flippantly laying their hands on me. Now there is impartation through laying on of hands. And I would say that falls under the blessing category. And there are men of God that I want to lay hands on me. I've flown, think of this. I have flown thousands of miles at my own expense, not because I'm going to preach somewhere or I'm going to, you know, whatever. I've flown long distances at my own expense, rented my own cars, got my own hotels, you know, everything, got my own food, whatever I needed to do to just be in meetings where I knew men of God would be there that I did want to have hands laid laid on me from. And I sought that out. It's not that I'm against laying on of hands. I'm all for it. I do it. I have it done to me. But it's got to be done by the right people. And so as a minister, there are very specific people that I want laying hands on me. People who I want what they have. Right. I want what they have. Why would I want somebody that's not doing anything for the Lord or doing less than I'm doing? to lay hands on me. I don't need an impartation from them. I need an impartation from somebody that's doing far more than I'm doing. So it matters who's around you. I don't need advice from everybody. I need advice from the right people. Do you do you know what I mean by that? I don't need advice from everybody. I don't need Listen, I don't want any advice from preachers who don't believe in the Holy Ghost. And then give advice about how I should minister. I don't need advice from you. You don't even believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I love you. Thank God you're saved. Thank God that you're ministering, getting people saved. But I don't need ministry advice from a person that denies the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I am going to be selective and fiercely guard who's around me in my life and ministry. Jesus did that. Paul taught it. And also you'll see how important it is in the scripture. So, I had you turn to Mark chapter two because you've got to fiercely guard your relationships. They'll make you or they will break you. I'm going to show you a a story right here that if, if this story, this story couldn't have even, they couldn't have even been in the Bible, couldn't have even happened if there had not been faith filled friends. Hallelujah. There'll be things in your own life that won't happen or can't happen. If you're around the wrong kinds of people. So check this out. Mark chapter two. Very, very, very important. The Bible says, I'm going to start with verse one. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together. So there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Look at this now. Verse three. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins, oh man, I'm gonna show you something here, are forgiven. Now here's a man that apparently, whether he's a quadriplegic or a paraplegic, we don't necessarily know. We know that he couldn't move and was laying on a mat. And he was paralyzed. So in and of himself, he could not have gotten to Jesus to get the miracle that he needed. He was paralyzed. So he was incapacitated and had no ability to go receive a miracle. But 
What did he have? Four friends that not only loved him, but believed in the miraculous anointing of Christ enough to grab a corner of his mat and pick their friend up and carry him to where the anointing was. And when they got to the house, the Bible says there was no more room in the house. That's the kind of crowd Jesus pulled. There wasn't any more room in the house. So what did they have to do? They had to climb up on the roof and rip the roof apart to lower him in. Here is a principle for your faith-filled relationships. Please get this. Very important. In order to get his miracle, the paralytic man had to go to another level. He had to go on the roof. But notice this. He could not have gone to another level if his friends weren't willing to go to another level. Do you catch that? In order to get what he needed, not only did he have to go to another level, his friends had to go to another level. And that's going to be true for you as well. Your friends have to be willing to go to the next level that you're going in Christ and in faith, or else they're going to start pulling. There's going to be friction. They're going to start pulling on your life and there's going to be problems. You'll desire to please the Lord. They'll desire to go far from God. And so what's going to happen is there's going to be tension. There's going to be a pull. There's going to be a pull on your flesh. It's going to pull you towards things that are displeasing to God. So guarding your friendships fiercely and making sure that their faith-based relationships is going to help you. Notice if his friends weren't willing to go to the next level, he would have never gotten a miracle from Jesus. I have watched people lose their miracle or not receive a miracle because they surround themselves with people who always badmouth the miraculous. It's almost like the devil sends people. It's like he sends people, other people, to just show up in your life and pet your disease and pet your problem, and pet the issue, and say, oh, oh, let me take care of you. And what it, what it really ends up being is this, let me keep you in your problem. Because for some reason, they feel their fulfillment keeping you in your issue. They don't actually want you to get better because they get some kind of a weird fulfillment of being the person that always comes over. How you doing today? What can I do for you? Oh, don't get up. We don't want you to get out of your wheelchair. We don't, no. And the devil sends people to keep you in a place where you can't move forward. And if this man had not had four friends full of faith that were willing to go to another level, he wasn't getting a miracle. But notice this. If you never have caught this before, catch what the scripture says here. The Bible says they all went to another level. They started ripping the roof off lowered their friend down in front of Jesus. Now watch this. And the Bible says, verse five, Mark two, five. And when Jesus saw their faith, not his faith, their faith. Oh my God. When Jesus saw who? The man and his friends, faith. He wasn't just looking at the man. He was looking at their his friends as well. 
He wasn't just judging the man where he was at. He saw their faith too. You brought him here. You're the ones that brought him. You believe I can heal him too. You tore the roof off. You believe I can heal him too. Jesus just didn't see his faith. He saw their faith. And when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And then you can see, made him whole. He said, get up, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, went out before them all so that all were amazed and glorified God saying, we've never seen anything like this. We've never, can I tell you the power? Watch this. You can get together. It's like if you just watched when me and uh, my friend Tony Jones were just doing that conversation on Zoom on his page, one of the things we started talking about is when we all would get together when I was in Bible school at at the uh, prayer and healing school and every day we'd have services. But we'd get all together with one accord in one in unity, seeking the presence of God to the place the power of God would just hit. And God would see our faith and come in and touch all of us. It doesn't work that way. If you got half the people in there, I don't, but this is heresy. I can't believe you guys are doing this. Why are you shouting? Why are you dancing? Why are you running? Why are you speaking in tongues with no interpretation? You got all that. What do you got? Division. And God doesn't move in division and confusion. He moves in unity. Look at the day of Pentecost when they were all in one accord and in one place. You see that? They had to be in unity. Unity brings power. Disunity or division brings destruction. Brings destruction. When you have division because of the friends you have, everything becomes impossible. Let me show that principle to you from uh, the book of Genesis. The Bible says that people came from the east across the plains of the Shinar and came and began to build the Tower of Babel. And God looked at them and said, they weren't godly people, they were pagans. And God looked down from heaven and said, man, they're in one accord. They're in unity so much so that if I don't go down there and confuse their language, they will do whatever whatever they set their hearts to do. Think about that. God said, these pagan people, they're in such unity that if I don't go and confuse their language, they'll accomplish whatever they put their mind to do. That shows you the power of unity. Shows you the power of unity. That when you have friends that have faith like you do, then you can rise higher and higher and higher. And There's no limit. There's no limit to where you can go with those kinds of friends. And you got to be very guarded because people will do their best. One thing I've learned, and those of you, I, I talked about this the other day. Let me mention it again. One thing I've learned is that people as a whole don't like people that produce, and they especially don't like people that overproduce. So if you've ever worked on a job, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever worked on a job and you had a spirit of excellence and you were trying to get stuff done. You showed up early. You stayed late. What do people start saying? Well, somebody's trying to brown nose the boss. Somebody's trying to get on the boss's good side. What are you trying to get a promotion? What are you trying to take somebody's job? You know, they don't like it because the more you walk in a spirit of excellence, the more it highlights that they're not. The more you produce, the more it highlights they don't produce. They're the ones showing up at 9.07 and leaving to go home at 4.52. 
and you're the one coming in at 830 and leaving at six because you've got a vision. You're not just working enough to not get fired and they don't like it because the moment you begin to produce, it shines a light on other people's laziness and their lack of excellence. And people hate that. They do not like that. And so you, you got to understand that if you're going to have friends that are going to help you move forward, everybody in the crew has to have a spirit of faith, a spirit of excellence, has to be ready to produce for the kingdom of God so that there's not disunity or division in the group. You don't want somebody coming up Say, well, here he goes again, thinks he's the next so-and-so, thinks he's the next Kenneth Hagin, thinks he's the next Bishop Jakes, or whatever they people want to say, because they're not willing to produce, and you're sitting there giving it everything you got, because what you do, you're doing as unto the Lord. Whether you work a job, doesn't matter what you do, everything you do, you're doing it as unto the Lord, as though you're working for Jesus himself which pulls excellence out of you. It pulls perfection out of you. It pulls faithfulness and diligence out of you. One thing I've learned, people don't like it when you give it everything you got and begin to produce because they, the flesh just wants to lay back and do the bare minimum to get by. Work only hard enough to not get fired. Believe only enough. Attend church enough to let the pastor know I still go here. <laughs> Do you know they just released, they released the statistics not long ago that the average Christian only attends church one out of every four or every six Sundays in a row. So they pick one Sunday out of every four or six, which was so sad, which means like a week and a half ago, this quarantine's been going on since like, you know what, the end of March, middle to end of March. That means that even though churches have been shut down since this whole time, the average Christian didn't miss out on going to church until about two weeks ago because the average Christian only goes about once every six Sundays. That's why they say that the Easter Sunday is the most attended and the week after is the least attended because all the people that went went on Easter and now they've done their Sunday for the six and they stay home the next week. Sad. And they don't like it. They want to just go enough so the pastor knows, I still go here. You know, every now and then, if it's not nice outside, if we can't get to the lake house, if we're not out on the boat, if I'm not playing golf, if we don't have a family reunion, if my son's not playing travel baseball, no dedication, no diligence, not pressing in. So if you've got friends that are barely hanging on to their salvation and they don't even care about dedicating to the Lord, they're not going to be appreciative when you're pressing in and seeing breakthroughs and seeing miracles. Well, here comes Mr. Revival Pants. Here comes Mr. Revival Pants. He thinks he's got it all together, don't you? What are you going to do, preach a little revival in the lobby, brother? That's how they get. That's how people get. Because they don't want your dedication spotlighting their laziness. That's why. I, I I don't want to connect with people that don't want to go hard for the kingdom. I just don't. My circle of friends is small. It's small, not because I'm not friendly and not because I don't like people. I just don't have any desire to surround myself with people that are phoning it in. I just don't. There's too much to do. We're too close to the coming of Christ. There's too much to accomplish in our purpose to sit around trying to pull people along that don't want to go. Let them go. Let them go and let them go be happy. Stop 
trying to beat your head against a wall for two knuckleheads that don't want anything to do with the presence of God. Let them go. Let them go. Well, I, I, we've known them for so long. I, I went to high school with them. I really feel like we need to be in their life. If they don't want it, let them go. Jesus, you know, Jesus even said, if you go to a town or city and you preach the gospel and present the truth of this message and they don't receive you, if they will not receive you, don't, he didn't say stay there for 20 years and bang your head off the synagogue and say, come on, believe it, believe it. No, he said, shake the dust off of your feet, revoke your blessing and go somewhere else. The world is a big place. There's a lot of unsaved people that need to be saved. Don't stop your soul winning efforts and your purpose because of two knuckleheads that won't listen. Let them go. You're not the Holy Spirit. If they won't listen to him, they won't listen to you. <laughs> Amen. If they won't listen to him, they won't listen to you. Be connected with people who have a hunger and a desire for the things of God. It's people that love to read the word. They want to talk the word with you. They want to talk what they've seen. You know, oh man, I was just reading. Did you ever see this before? They're bringing up revelations that they've seen. They're talking to you about what God's been doing, giving you testimonies, building your faith. I want people like that in my life. I don't want people dull in my blade. I want them sharpening my blade. I'm very, I have a closed circle. I close it off. I don't want everybody. I don't want people that are changing their doctrine every six months because they don't even know what they believe because they don't even study. I want people, and it doesn't mean I don't reach out. doesn't mean I don't try to help people. doesn't mean I don't try to raise people up or I'm not kind to them. It means none of that. But I'm talking about those that are with me. Now, now, let's talk about Paul and his instructions to the believers because we know it's got to be a faith-based relationship. It just has to be. Has to be. The guarding of your relationships will keep you in such peace and such joy. Oh, can I just tell you how wonderful it is to have the ability to block people on social media It is, or even just to mute them. It is wonderful. There's some people, and I know you know who I'm talking about, people watching me, you have all these kinds of people in your life too. There are some people that they just feed off of and live on drama. If there was no drama, they wouldn't be happy. I mean, just drama queens, and now we got drama kings. If there's not some sort of drama, if there's not some sort of a rumor to spread, if there's not something they can't say about somebody else, if they can't bring, they wouldn't even be able to live. Thank God for the unsubscribe, unfollow, block, and mute buttons. Because life's too short to be sucked in to somebody else's drama. It's too short. Like in real life, think about this. It's so peaceful to just disconnect from relationships that all they do is stir up trouble, drama, problems. You know how peace, 
Can I tell you how peaceful my life is? Let me just sit back. The peace I feel in my own home right now is wonderful. You know what's nice? My wife is never going to run into this room or run into our bedroom in tears and say, do you know what she just wrote to me? Do you know what she just said to me? Do you know what text I just got? Do you know what she's been saying? Do you know what they said? Do you know what she's doing? Do you know what she's been telling our friends? That is never, ever, ever going to happen. Feel the peace in this room. Feel the peace in this house. You know why? I don't hang with people like that. If I first sign, I see that kind of stuff, and I know that's your nature, your personality, nice knowing you. God bless you. If we see you in heaven, good. Before then, we don't want to see you. The future of my life, my marriage, my children, the peace of my home, way more important, my faith, the ability to walk, move forward in faith, all of that is way more important than having some kind of dramatic relationship with somebody because they refuse to mature in the spirit. I'm talking about Christian people now. I'm not talking about sinners. We should be on we should be beyond that. I shouldn't be living in covenant relationships with an unbeliever. It's wonderful. The peace, my friends, is wonderful. The peace, my friends. <laughs> Stay thirsty, my friends. I feel like saying, stay peaceful, my friends. Because that's how I feel. It's exactly how I feel. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul thought it was so important. He gave instructions for the believers not to do that. Chanel says, how do you avoid them if you work with them? You just do your work. You stay professional, you show the love and peace of God, but you don't get sucked in to their drama. Don't. Be professional, be kind, walk in love, but do not enter in to their issues. And if they start with you, ignore it or just say, I'm not interested in in talking about that. I'm not interested in doing that. They start talking about everybody. Just excuse yourself and go out. Don't participate in that foolishness. It's foolishness. 2 Corinthians 6, Paul thought it was so important that he instructed and commanded the church along these lines. Listen, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship does light have with darkness? What accord has Christ with the devil? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. So Paul said, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. If you're single and you're watching me, you've got zero business dating sinners. Zero business. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to influence them for the kingdom. It doesn't work. Break up today, tonight. Now, if you're already saved, if you're already married, it's a different story. 
But if you're not married, I don't care if you're engaged to be married. You ain't married yet, baby. You ain't married yet. So you don't tie yourself up. You don't tie yourself up. And see, this is the massive misunderstanding Christians have. Because just like Karen Neary just asked, wasn't Jesus a friend of sinners? You need to understand what Jesus was doing. Jesus was ministering to them. When the Pharisees got angry that he was eating with sinners and spending time with them, what was his answer? He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. So I'm not telling you to stop ministering to people. That's not what I'm saying. I don't mean cut them off completely. I'm saying you can still minister to people without befriending them, spending time with them. You know, it's Jesus wasn't going out clubbing with those people. He wasn't going out, uh, you know, doing all the things they did. He wasn't engaging in their lifestyle. He was ministering to them and lived without sin. Nothing wrong with that. I'm talking about making these people your friends and doing what they do and coming into that kind of relationship. Paul said, don't do it. Don't do it. And so he said, don't be unequally yoked. I go, I go on even further than that because I'll tell you this, I would have no relationship whatsoever. I think it's foolish to do so. Not in a cult-like way, but just from a, if you have common sense, like if you have common sense, um, for example, somebody that's in the Southern Baptist Convention that may believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a deception of the devil, that speaking in tongues is the equivalent of demon possession. Okay, well, if you believe that, and I believe that it is the precious infilling of the mighty Holy Spirit manifesting his presence in my life, we have very different ideas about what the Holy Spirit is doing today in the life of a believer. So how can I have a relationship with someone who calls my best friend my worst enemy? I call it the Holy Spirit of God who's manifesting in my life. He calls it a demon. Where can we have friendship on that point? The most important point, by the way. So I may see them in heaven, praise God for that. But while I'm here on the earth, just common sense would say, common sense. You know, they're not an unbeliever in the sense that they're not a Christian. Although you're on dangerous ground, you're on dangerous ground to blaspheme the manifestations and power of the Holy Spirit. But, see, that that's what I'm talking about, Karen. She, she asked the question, if anybody's watching on another platform or listening on the podcast, what, what do you do if you already have friends with long-term relationships with different religious beliefs? It brings so much stress. And it brings so much... I mean, like, I don't know really how much of a relationship. And if you can do it in a way where you're ministering to them, bring them into the kingdom. But, you know, Karen, just from the story that I know of your personal life, you're in a place where you need spiritual strengthening and you need to be built up in the spirit and you need to be brought to the next level. You know, as we've talked about you finding a Holy Ghost church, being discipled properly, getting those erroneous doctrines out of your mind and spirit. And so I don't suggest, you know, that people are out there, you know, hanging with people that are not 
uh, believers in that same way. And again, I don't want you to think that this sounds cultish. I'm not saying don't talk to people or cut them off or create a commune or I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what business do I have? If I'm saved and I've got friends, let me give you a very basic example. What do I do as a 22-year-old believer, college, and my best friends don't serve God? And what do they want to do on the weekends? They want to party. It's what they want. So what do I do? Well, they're my friends. I've known them since before high school. We came to college together. We're best friends. We room together. But your best friends want to go to the club every Friday night. They want to get drunk. They want to hook up with other people. Yeah, but they're my best friends. You know, I'm, not, I'm just not going to do The Bible says that we're to avoid even the appearance of evil. So now what am I going to do? They're my best friends. I'm 22. I'm a college student. I'm saved. So what am I going to do? Am I going to just continue to bend my will to the desires of my friends? Come on. You can go. Jesus didn't say you couldn't go to a club. Jesus didn't say you couldn't have a drink every once in a while. And so it always becomes... Here's the question. Why is it always a breaking down of your part of life? Did you ever know that? Notice that? Why is it always a breaking down of your convictions? Come on, you can go to a club. Jesus didn't, Bible doesn't say you can't go to a club. How, why is it never this? Come on, just because you're not a Christian, that doesn't mean you can't go to church. Just because you're not serving God right now, that doesn't mean you can't go sit with me on the front row for Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. Come on, it doesn't mean, why is it never that side and it's always the other side? Why is it always about pulling the Christian into a worldly living circumstance versus a Christian pulling those that are unbelievers into a circumstance of being in the presence of the Lord? Why is it never that? And you'll recognize it never is. It's always the other. Come on, you can have a few drinks. Come on, you can you can smoke this with me. You know, God made this weed. God made this weed. This is straight from the earth with an F. This is straight from the earth. God made this weed, man. <laughs> Why is it always that? How come it's never the other? Because the flesh is at war with the spirit. And you're putting yourself, I understand there's many, many believers that are not mature. Many believers that are immature. So they're on the verge, they're on the verge of messing up. Why are they putting themselves in a position to fall into temptation? Why are you putting yourself in position to displease the Lord? See what I mean? Look at that. I mean, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's the world we're living in. Karen just said, my ex-pastor smokes weed. So that's the world we're living in. That's the world we're living in. Why do I want to put myself in that position? I don't. So what do I do? I guard my relationships. I guard my relationships. I guard where I go to church. I guard who I form relationships with. I guard who I allow into my life and to speak into my life. Just give me a little bit for my cataracts, brother. It's medicinal, man. It's medicinal. 
Why would I, why, why am I doing that? Why am I not guarding myself? Apparently eternity is not important to you. Apparently it's not important to those that are just flippant with their relationships. They don't care who they're around. I've spoken to you, Jacob, already. You've got to honor your father and mother. No question. The bio, I don't care what they are doing or who they are. You've got to honor them. You honor your father and mother that it may be well with you and that you have a long life on the earth. But you're about to be a man. And you'll have to make your own decisions. And you'll stand before God one day for yourself. And you'll not be able to say, my parents, my parents, my parents. God will say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I spoke to you? And you'll answer to the Lord for yourself. So you have to have your own responsibility in life and say, I I know what my parents do, but I know what I'm going to do. Because there's no such thing as a grandfathered-in Christian. Well, I'm saved because my parents were saved. I'm saved because my grandma was saved. No, everybody has to serve the Lord for themselves. And so you have to make sure. Thanks, Flaming Tongues. So you've got to make sure that you make the decisions and be responsible for yourself because God judges each person by their own faithfulness to his word. No question. So honor your parents, but then you've got to make a decision to serve the Lord the way the Bible teaches that you serve the Lord. Not by somebody's interpretation, but by what the Bible says clearly. Finally, let me show you this before I pray for you. Jesus used this method. Jesus used this method. Jesus knew that not everybody, not everybody in my group, not everybody in my crew has the ability to operate at the same level of faith. Jesus knew that. He knew it clearly. He wasn't... You know, if you think Judas caught him off guard because he was stealing from the treasury, or you think Judas caught him off guard because he was the one that betrayed him, he knew, he knew, he knew it at the Last Supper. He knew it in his spirit. Jesus, you think Jesus couldn't discern that? Of course he could discern. Look, if the mafia knows who a rat is in the crew, then Jesus knew who the rat was in the disciple crew. If you got unsaved, unregenerated men that can listen to their gut and know somebody's a rat in the mob, you better know Jesus, the son of God, knew who the rat was in the crew. It was all Bible prophecy. But also Jesus knew not all my disciples are at the same level of faith. They just aren't. They just are not. I'll show it to you in Mark chapter 5. Go there with me. Mark chapter 5. I hope this is helping you tonight because see, if you don't get this, if people miss this, then what ends up happening is their relationships restrain them. Their relationships restrain them. Relationships can keep you back. They can keep you back from obeying God. I've seen people, can I tell you something? I've seen people not fulfill the plan of God on their life because they were connected with the wrong people. I've watched people mess up the calling, the purpose on their life. They were supposed to be in the ministry, but they married the wrong person. And because they did, 
they missed out on their calling. And today, they're not, not only are they not uh, in the ministry, they're not even serving the Lord. Let that sink in. What was the cause? Wrong relationships. Wrong relationships. They'll make you or they will break you. And so you got to be discerning. You got to fiercely guard those relationships. Jesus did. When it was time to do the most serious stuff, stuff like raising the dead, he knew who he could, he knew who he could stand with. Mark chapter five, look with me. Look at this. The Bible says, now Jesus was on the way. Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, said, please come and pray for my daughter. She's sick unto death in bed. Jesus said, I'll come and make her well. And then the Bible says in verse 35, Mark 5, 35, while he was yet speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't be afraid, only believe. Now, watch verse 37. This will blow your mind. Jesus didn't take 12 disciples to go raise the dead. He didn't take nine disciples. He didn't take six disciples. Look, verse 37. And Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When he heard that their mission was to now raise a dead girl back to life, he didn't want the rat Judas in the room screwing up everybody's faith with his unclean spirit. He didn't want he didn't want doubting Thomas up in the room, pacing back and forth. Oh my God, she's dead. Is she going to come back? Is she going to come back? Is she going to come back? He didn't want doubting Thomas in the room. He didn't want he didn't want Judas's traitor face <laughs> in the room. He only brought three, because all he could bring at that level was three. Those are the three that had dead raising faith. Same three he brought up onto the mountain of transfiguration with him. Peter, James, John. Peter, James, John. That's all he could bring. That's all he could bring. And he knew, if I go up here, look, look what Jesus did. The Bible says he gets to the house and he says, verse 39, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead. She's only sleeping. And they laughed at him. But look at verse 40. He put them all outside. <laughs> Jesus kicked them out. Jesus kicked them out. He said, I can't have y'all in here either because you don't have any faith. You don't have any faith. I, all I can bring in here is Peter, James, John, the parents, because they got faith for their daughter, and me, everybody else, out. Get out. Why? Because not everybody is qualified to stand with you 
at your level of faith for a miracle. If I need a miracle, I don't want, I don't go telling everybody, I don't put it on Facebook. If I need a breakthrough, I don't put it on Facebook. I'm going to say, hey, everybody, I got a Facebook request. I need everybody to get your, I don't forward it around on Messenger. I can tell you that. I don't need everybody praying for me because some of them, it wouldn't matter if they prayed or not. They don't even have faith. You know what I'm talking about. There's some people, they don't want to know your prayer request because they want to pray. They want to know your prayer request so they can spread the gossip around. It's not a prayer chain and it's not a care chain. (laughs) It's a share chain. They just want to talk to everybody about your problem. That's That's not why they want to know your prayer request. So I don't put it out there. Not everybody needs to be joining with me. I want the strong ones that have actual faith, that have seen miracles in the past. That, that is what I want to see. That's what I want to see. And so he could only bring Peter, James, and John. He knew it. He knew it. And so it's very important that we catch that. Peter, James, John. And when he got there, put everybody else out of the room. There's going to have to come a time in your life where you recognize how important an atmosphere of faith is. An atmosphere of faith. Let me tell you, I've got people that I grew up. I've got people that I've known for years, people that have been my friend for a long time. I don't even talk to them anymore. I don't even, because people, when they make a decision, people make their own decisions to just go their own way. I'm not going to force them back. I'm not going to force them back. I can't force them back. I'm not the Holy Spirit. And when people, Troy says, how do you find those who have strong faith? One of the things I suggest that people do, and I don't know why they don't do it, is number one, I've always talked to you about finding a Holy Ghost filled church, a good church. It's life or death where you go to church. And then, um, after you do, make your relationships with those that are part of the church. I've, you know, I've never understood why people get saved, attend a church, and then make all of their friendships based upon people they know at work, people they met at school, and they don't make any friendships with the people that they worship with that they go to church with, that they're in covenant with. They leave those people at the church and do all their hanging out with people from work, people from school, people from college. It's like, dude, what are you doing? What are you doing? Connect with people of faith and let iron sharpen iron. It does matter where you go to church. It does matter who you befriend. And just a short word on Relationships. If you're, if you're not married and you're dating somebody that's not a Christian, break up with them. If you're engaged to somebody that's not a Christian, break up with them. Marriage is not going to change them. It's not going to change them. Be wise, obey the instructions of the Bible, and don't yoke yourself up with an unbeliever. It's a foolish, foolish thing to do. Foolish thing to do. It destroys marriages. It, destroy, it puts stress What are you going to do when you get married to an unbeliever and you're all about paying your tithes and your husband or your wife says, I don't want you giving 10% of our money to the church. You telling me I got to give 10% of my money. I'm already giving a huge percentage to the government for the taxes. Now I got to give another 10% to my church. That's what you're going to hear 
because there ain't no sinner in the world that wants to pay their tithes faithfully. So now what are you going to do? Because you're you're yoked up with an unbeliever. Now you got to make a decision whether or not to have friction in your marriage or disobey the word of God. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? And that's just surface level stuff. Surface level. You go deeper and find out some of the things that happen when you link yourself up with those that don't care anything about obeying Jesus. It brings friction, brings problems. And I know that one of the things that people do battle is relationships. I know some people are battling with their parents, their sisters, brothers, family members. Some are are, are married. I know there's probably people watching me right now. You're married to somebody that's not serving the Lord. The prayer that I'm praying at the end of this broadcast, the prayer of faith, it's a prayer for supernatural relationships. I'm going to pray for your husband and your wife. I'm going to pray for your children who are not yet serving the Lord. I'm going to pray for your sisters and brothers. I'm going to pray for your friends. But I'm going to pray that God connects you with strong, faithful people that will sharpen you and not dull your blade. If you don't, see, here's the thing. If you don't master this area of your life, it will master you. It will master you. Let me tell you a story before I pray. We were doing a tent meeting. I've told you this before, but it bears repeating. We were doing a tent meeting in Lexington, Kentucky. And every night there was this guy that set up a tent on the field with our tent, little pup tent, and he would camp out there. He was a homeless guy. And then on one of the final nights of the crusade, he came to the altar, gave his heart to Jesus and got baptized in the Holy Ghost again. I thought he was a, I thought he was a first time believer. He said, no, man, I'm rededicating my life. I used to be a Christian. He said, not only did I used to be a Christian, he said, I I actually got called into the ministry and I went to Bible school to become a preacher. He said, do you know God delivered me from drug addiction, alcoholism? And uh, he said, I got delivered from all that, filled with the Holy Ghost, called to be a preacher. I go to Bible school. And then he said, I get hooked up. I meet these friends in Bible school. They're also studying to be preachers. And the the weekend comes and he says, they come up to me and they're like, hey man, you going out with us? We're going to hit some bars. You know, we got some weed. We're going to go get some drinks tonight and, and just smoke some weed. He said, hold up. I thought we were saved. Now we're not supposed to do that stuff anymore. He said, I thought we're not supposed to live like that anymore. They said, no, man, you don't understand grace. You don't understand grace, man. You know, we're kings and priests. You know, that stuff doesn't matter anymore. Now we're in the covenant we have with Christ. And they started spewing false doctrine to him. And so what did he do? He messed, made friends with people that were not truly serving God. He goes out with them and then back into the same problems that he had before he got saved. And he said it wasn't a matter of weeks to a month that he was back addicted to alcohol again, addicted to weed, then doing stronger drugs, drops out of Bible school, backslides, falls back into a sinful way of living. Now he's homeless, back home, and now he's sitting there in Lexington, Kentucky. There's my friend, Pastor Josh Van Hook. Love you, man. Now he's back in Kentucky, not serving the Lord anymore. Now he rededicates his life. Look at the fall. Now that's an extreme story, but I can tell you something. That's where the devil wants you to end up. That's where the devil wants you to end up. He wants you to fall because you've got relationships that are pulling you into a place that's displeasing to the Lord. I refuse to hook myself up with people who don't care about pleasing God. 
They don't care about serving the Lord. They don't care about the word of God. I refuse. Life is too short. Our purposes are too important to waste time hooking up with people that don't have any desire to please God. And so I want to pray for you tonight because there's people on, on with me tonight. You're battling relationship issues. Maybe your husband's not saved. Your wife is not saved. Don't leave them. I'm not telling you to divorce your unsaved husband or wife. Bible says stay with them. Stay with them and believe God that they'll be saved. Pray for them. Show them the love of Christ and practicality. Live in such a way that it's you're, you're pleasing the Lord even in front of them and, a, and are an example of what it means to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. But if you're not married, if you're just engaged or if you're dating an unbeliever, break up after the broadcast is over. If you want me to call them for you, just text me, send me the number. I'll make the call on your behalf. It's that important. I will call them tonight and say, listen, uh, so-and-so is not going to be able to go out with you anymore. This is a, a, a formal breakup. They're breaking up with you. I'm the breakup service. And I just want to let you know that they'll not be going on any more dates with you. They'll not be receiving any more calls from you. They don't want any more texts from you. Please don't slide into their DMs. They would not like to be Snapchatted by you. And they definitely don't want to hear from you on TikTok. Thank you. It was nice knowing you. And good night. Professional Breakup Calls by Evangelist Ted Shuttlesworth, the breakup service. Break up tonight and don't destroy your life a day longer. Don't destroy your life a day longer. Your life's too important to mess around with people that don't care about pleasing the Lord. Pray for them. Continue to minister to them. Invite them to church. Bring them into the presence of God. But it's not time for a relationship romantically. Paul said no. Jesus says no. Holy Ghost said no. Let it be no. (laughs) Bow your head. Let me pray for you. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I'm praying for every man. I'm praying for every woman that tonight they're married to somebody that's not yet serving the Lord. What we pray is as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Bring us household salvation in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would Give us, Lord, you know how I've prayed for years. If it's not us, bring somebody across their path that they will hear, that they will listen to, that will come into the kingdom of God, that'll preach the gospel to them, give them the truth of God's word and bring them into the kingdom. Let this be the year that we can claim household salvation. Our husbands, wives, children, grandchildren, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers will be saved in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Devil, we take authority over every work against their lives. Take your hands off of their life in Jesus' mighty name. I command the invisible prisons to open and for the captives to go free in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, bring them household salvation. Now, Lord, I ask you to not only... Uh, bring them into strong churches. If they're not in a strong church, Lord, let them find a strong church. But I pray that you would attach to us faith-filled people of God that would keep us in a place of faith, iron sharpening iron in Jesus' mighty name, not people that will drag us from your presence, drag us from your will, drag us from pleasing you with our lives, but that would help us like the paralyzed man had four friends that brought him to Jesus. 
connect us to people that will bring us closer to the presence of God and not pull us away from the presence of God. In Jesus' name, we pray for those that are battling in their bodies and in their minds, those that are battling addictions, those that are broken. Heal them tonight. Touch them by your power. In Jesus' mighty name. And we thank you, Lord, for it. We give you glory. In Jesus' name. If you're watching me tonight and you're not serving the Lord, hear me. If you know, if Jesus Christ came back to this earth again tonight and you said, you know, I don't know that I'd be ready to look him in the eye because there are things in my life that are wrong. My life is not pleasing to God. And I want to know that it is before Jesus comes because he's coming very soon. If you're watching me and you say, that's me. I need to make my make sure my life is right with God before it's too late. I want you to pray a prayer of salvation with me right now. Pray this with me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for sending your son to die for me. I ask you now, forgive me of my sin. Make me new. Give me the power to live for you for the rest of my life. I confess that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart that you raised him from the dead. So from this night forward, I am a new creation, a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Listen to me. If you prayed that prayer with me right now, I want to bless you. Let me tell you what to do. Go to miracleword.com and click the button that says, I just got saved. I want you to click that button. On that page, thank you. That's right. There it is. There's the link. I'll I'll repost it too so that it goes to all. um, Let me just copy and paste it because I want to bless you. There's the link for everybody. Just got saved. And so I want you to go to that link. I want you to click on it. I have a video there I want you to watch. But there's some things I want to send to you absolutely free. And so I want you to fill out the form below. Let us have your email. And uh, I want to send you gifts absolutely free. It won't cost you anything. We just want to make sure that you have the ability to take the proper next steps and grow. Rededication counts. And grow in the things of God. Because God has a plan to bless you. God has a plan to bless you. I want to encourage those of you that are watching to sow a seed by faith tonight. Those of you that are watching, the Lord has spoken to you to partner with this ministry, and I appreciate that. Those There's watch people watching right now. You've not yet done so, but the Lord's been talking to you to stand with Carolyn and with me and all of the Miracle Word team as we move forward and touch this generation by the power of God. Take a minute right now. And so a financial seed to bless this generation. You're not just feeding hungry kids every single day. You're not just sending the gospel around the world, but you're putting yourself in position to be blessed, to be blessed by the Holy Spirit. Harvests are coming back to your house. So on the screens, all the information, you can use hashtag donate to give on uh, Periscope or on Facebook. Um, the cat, you know, Cash App's available. The Cash App information's on the screen. Venmo is the same as Cash App. MW Give, MW Give. If you'd like to use PayPal, it's on the screen. But 
no matter where you are in the world, no matter what nation you're watching from, you can always go to miracleword.com and click on the partner tab or the give tab and sow a seed on the website. And I say a big thank you to everybody that's sowing seeds. I'm going to be a blessing to you this month. For those of you that are watching, this is what we're going to send you, those that are partnering with us. My friend, Pastor Alan Meshagan, wrote this book, Heir of Power. This is a powerful book about your identity with Christ, the identity that you have in Christ. You're a, a an heir with Christ and that you have his nature, his power, his ability. This book will show you how to overcome in life. This is a powerful preacher and this is a great book. It's going to be our gift to you. Let me just say this because we are once again coming towards the end of the month. Um, if, if you have given and sown seeds via Cash App, Venmo, uh, hashtag donate, and you would like to receive the offer for the month, you need to go to miracleword.com forward slash offer, O-F-F-E-R, and there, because what happens is we want to be able to send you the gifts, but when you give using Cash App or you know, uh, hashtag donate or whatever, we don't always get the mailing address. Sometimes we just get, you know, with Cash App, they just give us your username. So we don't know um, where to send your gift. So please fill that, um, please fill that form out. Miracleword.com forward slash offer. And by doing that, we know who to send it to and where to send it. Tell us where you gave, how you gave, and we'll be able to track that and know where to send your gift just so that you uh, are blessed. For everybody that's partnering with us at $1,000 or more in this month, we're sending you the Life Application Study Bible. This is one of my new favorite tools. In Genuine Leather, we just sent a bunch of these out today in this last week. Um, all kinds of great material in here to help you go deeper in your Bible study. And um, this will bless you. Genuine leather. It's got everything inside. Timelines, commentary, profiles, maps. It's got so many different things to help you study, uh, take you in depth. This is a great tool. This is our gift. We're going to sign that to you as well as the new book is available, but it's coming in in the hardcover version this next week. Hardback with a dust jacket. I'm so happy about this. I've always wanted to do that, and now I get to. Now I get to. Um, and that's coming to you signed from me, a hardcover version with a dust jacket um, signed to you and your family for standing with us. And thank you for standing with us. And I pray that this book blesses you very, very much. I know it will. And uh, I love you guys. Really, really appreciate you. Enjoy hanging with you. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.